never say die! Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 214 of 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. In the last two weeks, I joked about possibly dying on my trip. Turns out I did die. But I'm back this week anyway, and we'll reveal how all that works in a series of flashbacks over the next three or four episodes of the show. Now I'm intrigued. Will there be Frankenstein? (laughs) No, but my nose may bleed a little. Have, yep. I, have I been in the Upside Down for like the last 20 years? Because that would explain a lot of things. Is that what you call it? <laughs> well, I'm covered in something. <laughs> no, no, I was going to say fat. You want to be covered in myself. something. <laughs> yeah, no, I was, I was hoping the conversation would continue because I was not going to pick that one up. If you're covered in you something this weekend, <laughs> bow chicka wow wow. Um, oh man, you know what? I have nothing to do at noon on Saturdays. Got uh, any recommendations? Cover yourself in something? Get high? Well, I do both of those things already. I was looking for something to listen to. I got nothing. 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 All right, well, I'm, I'm done trying to help out. He's trying. <laughs> <laughs> you could listen to Geek Life Radio, where we will be on at 12 noon on Saturdays. You can also find us, of course, on the Podcast Collective, where you can find such shows as No Hope for Humanity, Dating Baggage, I Am Salt Lake, The Dog and Deuce Show, and, of course, the Rad Dad Radio Hour. Yeah. And this is why I don't help. Just and, FYI. <laughs> Josh, just so you know, if you haven't listened to last week, Mike was really missing you. Oh, uh, no, I, I haven't managed to listen to either of the shows yet. Yeah. The They're first- in the queue first show were definitely (laughs) it was it was completely the uh, cats away type thing just saying that right now (laughs) we needed we needed a cat wrangler at certain points Uh, needed me to step in and remind us that we should be on task yeah it was stone snagglepuss and (laughs) maybe i won't listen to it's out of the queue (laughs) (laughs) who would have thought josh was the responsible one yeah (laughs) no shit we are in the upside down all right so if you're looking for our older stuff we want to put you stick things in your queue uh find us on itunes blueberry stitcher talk Shoe, podverse fm noon fm and a bunch of other podcasting sites and if you want to give us a call it's 708 now wrap 708-669-9727 we don't have any voicemail feedback but we have tommy the duck who has suggested to us that we watch better off dead versus hot tub time machine and then says duh ducks to the front Tommy the Duck. Have we not done Better Off Dead in some form or fashion? John Cusack show. Yeah, we did. Oh, I thought so. Yeah. Yeah, But how do those two relate? John Cusack is in them. John Cusack is in both of them, and he goes back. We discussed it in the John Cusack show, both of them. Right, but how does he say duh, like they fit together somehow? Other than that. John Cusack, John Cusack, I guess. Maybe duh is an acronym. So... No, it's really not. <laughs> They're two very different movies. Threw, I don't know. Threw you under the bus right there. <laughs> yeah. All right. Oh, Christ. I think it's about that time. Is oh. it about that time already? I think it is. Ah, shit. I got to get my time up. This week in... 
music, movies, and TV. That didn't work. Uh, Joel's character of the week is apparently Mr. Pipe. <laughs> I really tried, and it didn't come out. I sound like a prepubescent boy. Can't do enough that. It's got the kind of punch. Enjoy Boomerama. I love you, Mr. Pipe. All right, so the day that we have for this one is August 14th, 1987, is the day that Monster Squad was released to the public, whether or not we liked it. We're the Monster we, Squad. We were not discussed about this at all. Still waiting for the gritty reboot. All right, music. The number one song in the land is I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For by U2, which is unfortunate. U2 is unfortunate. I concur, sir. It's U2 are unfortunate. <laughs> Why is that funny? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure which side of the debate I stand on now. <laughs> sounds like a sounds like a, a British reggae band. I don't know. I don't know why that. Anyway, Bon Jovi releases their third album, Slippery When Wet, which proved to be their most popular album and the number one album of the year on August 16th, which I think we all owned a copy of that. Yes. Oh yeah, it's a good album. Yes, I can't. I can't listen to anything from Slippery With Wet. Slippery With Wet. <laughs> Slippery When Wet without thinking of Donna. My then girlfriend of the eighth grade. Oh, Donna. I was just going to say that, but I couldn't sing it. <laughs> yeah, I remember going back and listening to, so what is it, 7800 Fahrenheit or something, the one before it, and I was like, huh. Yeah, it's talking about a jump up in quality. Yeah. What, what like, changed uh, between there? Did they get like an, like new musicians or something, or are they just like up their game? They found drugs. One of them was actually <laughs> using a headset mic. Uh, do i sound uh, that bad (laughs) gary chester drummer of the monkeys and the love and spoonful is absorbed on august 17th wait oh you mean like the band the monkeys not the tv show band the monkeys right correct i was confused i was like that was peter tork dork no the one who actually played the studio music oh i think he was on uh, bon jovi's first album All right, moving on to movies. Stakeout is the top movie in America. What were we thinking? Eh. We were thinking Rosie O'Donnell was funny. That's Richard Dreyfuss, isn't it? Yeah. Richard Dreyfuss and Emilio Estevez. Wasn't that the one with Rosie O'Donnell as their their police captain? Uh, No. Okay, well then I'm thinking of a different movie. Never mind. <laughs> Maybe it was one of these. Movies released this week include Can't Buy Me Love, Disorderlies, Monster Squad, and No Way Out. Ah, uh, Can't Buy Me Love with the Anteater Dance. That's, I would say that the, the Can't Buy Me Love is my favorite out of those four. Probably. Was Disorderlies the one with the fat boys? Yes. Okay. Which was surprisingly <laughs> funny. You know, they were. It's the African Anteater Dance. Sorry. <laughs> <clears throat> Raquel Torres was a Mexican-born American film actress. She played a Polynesian beauty in White Shadows in the South Seas, which was Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's first feature film, fully synchronized with music and effects. Over the years, she played various island girls and biracial beauty types. In her last year of filming, she appeared in the Marx Brothers' Duck Soup. Uh-oh. It was Raquel to whom Groucho delivered his classic line, 
I could dance with you until the cows came home. On second thought, I'd rather dance with the cows until you came home. On August 10th, she had a heart attack and the cows took her home. <laughs> she was absorbed. Yeah, she I, was I a was, good woman, too. I don't know if you guys remember that particular Oh, story. yes. I don't. Very voluptuous. And now I'm going to have to look her up, but not now. She's no Margaret Dumont, though. <laughs> but who is? Nobody, Margaret, unfortunately. She Margaret was fantastic. The cult classic, The Rocky Horror Picture Show, starring Susan Sarandon, Barry Bostwick, Tim Curry, and Meatloaf, premieres in the UK. The lyrics and story were written by Richard O'Brien, who also starred as Riff Raff the Butler. Fun fact, Josh played Riff Raff the Butler. This is true. That was what I was going to say in, when you were done talking, but now I don't have to. Because I talked over you. No, you so, said it first. If this was the UK premiere, this probably would have actually just been the Rocky Horror Show. Or was this the movie? This is the movie. Oh, yeah, because Meatloaf wasn't in the stage. No. And this was the movie. Yeah, that had to have been the movie because the, the stage show was the Rocky Horror Show. That's why I put it in movies. Yeah, that makes sense. Katie Lou, Lu, Katie Lou Lung, Lou. I think is how you pronounce it, born August 8th, is a Scottish film, television, and stage actress who played Cho Chang, the first love interest for lead character Harry Potter in the Harry Potter film series. She, yeah. I have to, not been absorbed. I have to say I was not expecting her to be Scottish. Right? <clears throat> huh. That was a little fun fact. Hmm. Kind of like when you hear Millie Bobby Brown speak for the first time and you're like, wait, what? Right. <laughs> or um, uh, what's the brother's name? Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, he's British. Uh, Charlie Houston. Heaton. Yeah. Charlie Heaton. I've been watching Beyond Stranger Things and I heard him talk and I'm like, wait, what? I, I was very confused by both of them. He just got arrested. Yep. Yeah. That was candy. Trying to party. Well. And all right, you know, hey, he's uh, on the most popular show out there right now, so. Yeah, I, fuck, I mean, I'm a pothead. I'm not going to judge. <laughs> yeah, but you're not doing coke. I'm drinking coke. Oh, with your nose? No, the soda. With your nose? <laughs> all right. Don't get it wrong. <laughs> Bubbles. <laughs> All right, so TV, the top shows in the land are The Cosby Show, naturally, L.A. Law, bringing the donuts. <laughs> I bring the donuts, dark man. <laughs> Growing Pains and the acronym of the week, which is ADW. Uh, of course, that's Antelopes Do Whoopee. <laughs> Wait, the yeah. yeah. Or, 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 yeah, the slang for nothing. Which one is it? <laughs> Is it Bye. antelopes raping a black actress, or is it antelopes laying around being lazy? Why did it have to get so violent, Pat? What the <laughs> hell just happened, right? I turned oh, my face. I'm sorry, maybe it's consensual sex yes. between the antelopes and Whoopi Goldberg. My bad. I mean, Jumpin' Jack Flash, the, all that money had wrung out. Had to stay relevant. <laughs> like, how do you get an antelope to sign a letter of consent? Meh. <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't have opposable thumbs to hold the pen. Now, if it was a llama. I'm not used to having to do this much explanation for an acronym. Or a dick. <laughs> I mean, the last time I was able to get an orangutan to sign the letter of consent. So that was, you know, that I feel fine about that. All right. We're in a weird spot right now. 
Making whoopee. I mean, weirder than normal. Uh, Clara Peller. <laughs> Raping whoopee. <laughs> Jesus, dude. <laughs> I'm going back to Europe. <laughs> That's obviously a different world, is what that is. Oh, okay. Wait, the no, show. I'm... I thought you were talking about wherever your brain is right now. <laughs> God damn it. Clara Peller, actress famous for her Where's the Beef tagline in the Wendy's commercials, died at 86 years old. She was absorbed into Wendy's hamburger meat and is being served currently. Where's the absorption? When did the commercial start? After the TV show? Before, before 1987. I was going to say three months earlier. <laughs> 84. She had a good three-year run. Hey. That's the thing. I mean, they, she was on t-shirts and stuff. Yeah, seriously. She was... I guarantee over. the last three years of my life, I'm not going to be on any t-shirts. We can change that. <laughs> yeah, I'll print them up right now. Right. Is that a challenge? <laughs> well, you're about two and a half years too late. <laughs> wow. Oh. What? Huh? That dark. <laughs> so that's all I got for TV. Oh, well, then it's my turn. <laughs> it's you. <laughs> I think he's talking to you. Um, in a mini scandal in the MLB, Kevin Gross of the Philadelphia Phillies is the second pitcher in eight days to be ejected for scuffing the ball, which led to a 10-day suspension. What does that do? It helps get uh, drag on the ball and make your curveballs even more curvy. Okay. It's it's definitely uh, frowned upon. Like, they like, pictures will sometimes actually like hide sandpaper on themselves and oh. sneak it in and, and start scuffing the ball up. Oh, that's like in um, uh, Naked Gun. Yeah, yeah, that's what they were making fun of in there. Okay, with the belt sander and shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on August thirteenth, Jackie Joyner Kersey ties the world record with a twenty-four feet. Five and a half inch long jump, which is insane. That's like a two story building. Yeah. It's like jumping the length of a limousine. That's insane. That is nuts. Yeah. On August 14th, Mark McGuire breaks the rookie record for home runs with 39 on his way to a final total of 49 for the season. That's a record that is still held for rookies. Every time I hear his name, I always think about when he was on The Simpsons. Steals the paperwork. Yoink. Who wants to see me hit some homers? <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. All I can think about is the, the the gigantism with the tonic, but that was a different episode with different players. Right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Moving on. Tim Tebow, NFL journeyman quarterback, <laughs> was born August 14th of this week. And lastly... On August 16th, the New York Mets beat the Chicago Cubs 23-9. to Jesus Christ. Which is an ass whipping. That is ridiculous. And that will do it for the twee. Wow, that is a lot. That's 14 more. <laughs> than what? Than the other team scored. Oh, <laughs> I was confused. <laughs> That's oh, what I'm here for, to do your math. <laughs> Thank you. Right. I was going to have to take off my shoes. <laughs> Why is off keyboard, Joel? No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, my God. Why is off keyboard pipe? 
<laughs> All right. So for the this week's show, we're doing Monster Squad versus Stranger Things Season 2 because we wanted a reason to sit down and binge watch Stranger Things Season 2. Yeah, and I think that this is probably a pretty good indication of the difference uh the shift in tone between the seasons because while there was a lot of horror in the first the first one definitely felt more sci-fi because we did et the first time around if i remember right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It definitely did oh, yeah i believe so <clears throat> i believe uh. that feller was from outer space <laughs> <laughs> and we also wanted to quote wolfman's got nards at some point that's true so, uh, Monster Squad is a 1987 horror comedy film written by Shane Black and Fred Decker and directed by Decker, who also wrote and directed Night of the Creeps, which is actually another one of my B-movie favorites. Peter Hyams was one of the exef- executive producers and released by TriStar Pictures on uh, August 14th, 1987. Features a reimagined team of universal monsters, all led by Count Dracula. They, in turn, combat a group of now, I'm putting this in quotes, savvy kids, <clears throat> to keep them from controlling the world. <laughs> savvy kids. I don't know who wrote that. Savvy. Savvy as in, I, as in, I don't know. Uh, while not being a major success during its theatrical run, receiving mixed reviews from critics, the film has gained a positive reception from audiences and become a cult classic in the years since its release. Now, Fred Decker also did RoboCop 3. That's his only other film credit. <clears throat> Just have to point that out. Yeah, but I mean, Shane Black is still working and well-known today. Yeah, he's a pretty big name in terms of writers. Well, it looks Uh, like Fred Decker is involved with the new new, uh, Predator also. Written with Shane Black and Fred Decker wrote the script for the new Predator coming out in 2018. Yeah, they kind of had a working partnership for a while. Okay. Or still do, I guess, to this day. Very nice. Wow. All right. So yeah. Um. Did any? Well, let's get we'll get through this first. So Fred Decker, Shane Black, Fred Decker writing and all that, starring Andre, Andre, Andre Goer, uh, as Sean, as seen in there as Andre. They got the little thing over his name. Andre. Andre, who is known for Monster Squad and. The Young and the Restless. Hmm. Restless. Yes. Restless. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. <laughs> Young and the Restless. All right. <clears throat> Robbie Keeger as Patrick. It's just so stupid that we love it. <laughs> uh, who is known as, from this and 1984's Children of the Corn. Well, not a lot of careers out of this movie, huh? I can't see why. Well, uh, Stephen Macht was kind of uh, who uh, was the dad. Uh, he he was in a bunch of stuff, a lot of other horror movies, if I remember right. Mm, Graveyard Shift, Stephen King's Graveyard Shift. He's currently in the TV show Suits. Um, General DJ went on to Wonder Years. Yeah, General Hospital, and he's also been in something called One Life to Live. <laughs> yeah, uh, Trancers three. Uh, Trancers, wow! Trancers is saying one thing right there, but when you add a three after that, that's even worse. Yeah. 
doll man all those tim thomerson movies do <clears throat> yeah this this dude is you look at his he's got 94 credits steven mocked wow also oh. uh duncan regger regger <laughs> i don't know who played this and then 90 he was at 1990 to 1993 tv show zorro oh. pardon me sorry about that uh, and something called My Wicked Wicked Way. So three. Three. Yes. There was not three of those movies. Tom Noonan as the Frankenstein monster. Who was uh, also in uh Robocop too. Speaking of Robocop. Mm-hmm. Also Yeah, in, he was also in Twelve Monkeys. And Heat. He's, he's an ass hat in real life. Really? Yeah. If I, I've got the Robocop two special edition Blu ray and his interviews are just He's like the most pretentious, like a hole. Hmm. That sucks. Not a fan. So uh, Brent Chillum as Horace, Ryan Lambert as Rudy, Ashley Bank as Phoebe. Now is Phoebe the little girl, is Phoebe the sister. It's a little, little girl. Yeah. Little girl. Okay. Uh, from that, she. <laughs> 1987, she went on to do The Haunted, and hasn't done anything since. 2012, where she was in a TV series called The Sheepdog Show, where please she played she played guest number two. Was Whoopi Goldberg in that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not a lot of careers were launched out of this. I don't think anybody went, "Hey, we need that kid," right? Well, and casting Mariel and Trainer as the mom again, it's like okay. You're already kind of ripping off the Goonies. You had to get the same mom. Right. So, yeah, she played. Oh, wait, we got Michael Fastino as Eugene, uh, who is known later on for Disney's Blank Check. There's a big famous movie. Uh, Suburban Commando. The Hulk Hogan movie? Yes. Yeah. Like I said, this is a awesome. springboard a literal springboard into a graveyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Mary Ellen Trainer. Uh, this doesn't even show up in her top few movies. So no, I, it's just literally they're like, we really want to ma- remake the Goonies only with monsters. Can you just do the same character again? In fact, just bring the script. We don't. We don't need a new one. Just do that one. Wear the same clothes, please. <clears throat> we can't afford any other ones. So uh, this also stars Leonard Semino. As the scary German dude. He was great. He was, he was gr- very recognizable. Yes. As a character. Sure. Uh, also being the Baron's doctor in Dune. He was a, in Waterworld, in Moonstruck, um, The Cradle Will Rock, The Freshman. He was Lorenzo in that. That was a good movie. He was also in Penn and Teller Get Killed. You know, he's all over the place. But he is, his career goes all the way back to 1949. So he's been around for a long time. So Yeah. He's a recognizable face for sure. Yeah. So yeah. Did any of you see this at the theater? Oh no. Oh this god. This is my first time seeing it. Really? It's VHS for me. Yeah, I saw it was this. My at, first time. Saw this at the really? theater. We went to the movies to see this. So Mike was the theater. I rented it back in the 80s, and the other half of the show, the first time seeing it was for this show. Yep. Huh. <laughs> All right. I'm so, full of surprises. <clears throat> the trivia in this one, 
there's some uh, child abuse going on in here. So the scene where Dracula lifts Phoebe up and she screams is all done in one take. Duncan Regger wouldn't wear his red contacts or fangs around the five-year-old Ashley Bank because it scared her too much. For the scene, director Fred Decker just told Ashley to scream once, once the platform raised her. When she said, asked when, he told her, oh, you'll know, and started the shoot. The terrified scream you hear from her is when Dracula opens his eyes and sees the red contact lenses and she flips her shit. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> that was a really good, that was a good scream, too. They're like, how are we going to get these kids to act? <laughs> Let's scare the shit out of them. I think that'll work. Coke. Let's method act with a five-year-old. <laughs> nice. She's probably still in therapy. Okay, so about a year after the Monster Squad was finished, Shane Black and Fred Decker worked together again writing... <laughs> Good thing this wasn't a Disney movie or that I had to kill her parents. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. No, you're totally right, man. Any Disney movie being pitched. Well, the parents are dead. Um, so Fred Decker, they worked again writing Shadow Company. The script was supposed to be an action horror film about a group of U.S. Special Forces who died during the Vietnam War, and years later, the soldiers who are members of a secret army experiments, raise up from the graves as rotting, unstoppable zombies. The zombie soldiers would have raided an armory from a nearby base and then proceeded to destroy the town in which they were buried, killing everyone in it. The movie was going to be directed by John Carpenter, produced by Walter Hill, with Kurt Russell in the main role, but they never made it. The original script by Black & Decker, good God. <laughs> did gain a cult following by theirs and Carpenter's fan. I would watch that movie. I know. I had to include this in the trivia because I can see why the unshot uh, script has a cult following because it sounds like a fucking awesome movie. Yeah. And it sounds you, like a completely <clears throat> different movie, too. Yeah. yeah. Obviously. And you toss in John Carpenter and Kurt Russell in there and you're like, okay, I'm in. Right. And God bless that. Man. Hey, Black and Decker, get on that. Right? Seriously. What are you doing these days? Oh, yeah, Predators. Predators, yeah. Hey, you know what? Here's hoping if they get enough money for Predators and be able to do that. They'd I, maybe have to tweak it a little bit to modernize it, but yeah. I'd be on board. If they can get Carpenter to direct it, is he directing still? Yeah. Cool. He's on tour for his album right now, but he's, Wait, he's still. Are you excited? Is he doing a concerts? Yes. Oh, my God. That's awesome. <laughs> yep. I've got the the deluxe edition DVD of um, Big Trouble in Little China, and there's a music video in there of it, and it's him playing the synth the whole time. Man is a multifaceted, talented guy. So he's been told. Um, <laughs> according to the director, Fred Decker, Shane Black's first draft of the screenplay was so huge that the opening of the film featured Van Helsing accompanied by Zeppelins and hundreds of men on horseback storming Dracula's castle. Decker stated that this sequence would have cost more than the final budget of the film. I thought they meant like a huge script. I'm like, this movie was like less than an hour and 20 minutes, so what the hell did they do? <laughs> Let's rein it in, Black. And uh, Dustin Diamond, he had a small role as a kid who tries to trade baseball cards with the boys. But later that was cut because they realized it had absolutely less to do with the plot than anything else that was in this movie. And someone said, this kid's probably going to grow up to be a giant dick. Let's not support him. <laughs> He's going to be on Saved by LaBelle. <laughs> <laughs> Saved by Patty LaBelle? I watch that show. 
No, I wouldn't. Patty LaBelle just randomly chooses people. She's like doing that prison talk. <laughs> scared straight. Patty LaBelle, Patty scared <laughs> straight. Can she be a zombie? And just like that, it stopped being well, funny. Watch it then. Why would you want Patty LaBelle to be a zombie? Because then I'd watch the show. The Walking La Dead. <laughs> That's not even funny, and I'm laughing. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I have no idea what the hell either of you are talking about at this point. <laughs> I never have an idea what I'm talking about. All right. Welcome to my world. So, right, so my memories of this movie were of it not being very good. Your memories are correct. Yeah. I, I That's just it. I hear so many people absolutely love this movie and like fawn over it and talk about how great it is that I, my expectations probably were a little higher than they should have been, but it's got all the elements of something I should really love. And I walked away from it. Number one, wondering why it was so short. Number two, wondering why everything was just compacted into like, it felt really, really rushed. Um, it was, I actually left that out of the trivia because two of the trivia items were super long. There were 13 minutes that were apparently fairly uh, important to the plot, but the studio demanded this thing get cut at 90 minutes sharp. I must've got the edited version of the edit then. Cause mine was an hour and 21 minutes or something like that. And the only part that only thing that I really loved about this was the look of the mummy. Mine was an hour 22. <laughs> and that even had the crappy rap song at the end. Oh my god, yeah. I, I will say was garbage. This was not as bad as I remember it being. And one thing that shocked me is that the effects were actually for the time pretty decent. No, the effect... probably in my in my review of it, it well, let's just get to it, I guess. Um Since I that... would say that's probably the best thing about this whole movie was was the the effects. I mean, especially for the time. I mean, compare the effects in this to something like Poltergeist. I honestly think this compares favorably to Poltergeist for special effects in most of its scenes. I would agree with that. I mean, the, the monsters all looked very good. Um, their deaths were, were done very well, not like in a really hackney way. I mean, and there were, it was all practical effects. Oh, yeah, back then. And I honestly, it did get a little visceral at a time, like when Dracula throws the stick of dynamite under the cop car. Right. That was a little bit more. I mean, I remember even in the theater when that happened, like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Or, or when they tuck the dynamite into werewolf's pants and throw him out the window and he blows up. <laughs> I remember yeah. th- what, I, what I thought, my first thought was, well, that poor man, he didn't even want to be a vampire. <laughs> yeah, he didn't want to be Wolfman. Oh, he didn't want to be a werewolf. Right, but or yeah, I didn't want to be a werewolf, and he got blown up, and I kind of felt bad for him. He's like, he wanted help, and then they blow him up, and then he reassembles and tries to kill somebody again. I'm like, okay, well, you know, and then he gets, he thanks the guy for shooting him. You're like Uncle Rico, no. <laughs> yeah, good call on that man. Yeah, exactly. Well, John John Grise was a pretty big character actor in the '80s, um, but I thought he looked familiar. I, I kept wondering who the movie was made for because it was too old for kids and too young for adults. And it it was confusing. And I'm on IMDb right now, and it's an hour and 19 minutes is what they have it listed at. Yeah, I, I'm sure that the extra 13 minutes that were cut, like 
they wanted to get to around 90 minutes and they had to cut a scene that pushed it to even less than 90 minutes. It was literally 13 minutes of um, <laughs> 13 minutes of Dustin Diamond trying to trade cards with them. <laughs> I got I got I got a Cubs card. I'm like, no, dude, you're not even in the movie. Why are we filming this? And I got, Whose kid I, is this? <laughs> why did he let him? He just let himself in. The kid's a dick. His own mom just dropped him off and said, go in there. You're going to be famous, kid. You're going to make your own home sex tape someday. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, there are some good ideas in this movie. and But the problem is, is the script and the child actors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, none of the dialogue is realistic, and none of the kids can act. You're definitely right about that. Although I like the tough kid for this reason alone. Number one, he stuck up for he stuck up for the the fat kid, and he has a like, name. The fat kid <laughs> is it Eugene? No, no. that's Horace. Yeah, oh. Eugene is a creature took my Twinkie. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, the cool kid stuck up for the fat kid, at which I like that, but. Part. And then when he Use was actually his fighting name. the monsters when they were in the middle of the street because they couldn't afford a lot of lavish sets everywhere, I thought that was pretty cool too. I just—it didn't make any sense why he was suddenly hanging out with him. Right. I never got the reason why, but I was there like, there was a lot <laughs> of weird, like half-baked ideas, like the whole subplot about uh, Sean's parents constantly fighting that just went nowhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole thing, honestly, felt kind of like, um, to me, like it was a child's imagination of a Dungeons and Dragons campaign slash horror role-playing game that he ran for his buddies, and this was in his mind, like, it playing out. Like, that's how the plot was, that's how the action was, that's how it felt like, like, okay, well, you guys don't really know each other, but we're going to shove you together, and you're going to meet, and you're going to be in this club, and now, now we're going to start. <laughs> Hey Pat. Yeah. Were were you that little D and D kid? <laughs> no, but I used to beat him up and say, "Why are you so fat?" <laughs> he has a name, Pat. <laughs> well, and and then I kept wondering about um, the one kid's dad that was a police officer. Why did he need to go to the police station suddenly when he just got home? Oh, uh, they'd gotten the call about the uh, uh, werewolf. Right, but don't they have other people on staff that were on shift on duty that night? He's a designated uh, werewolf missing body guy. Oh, you didn't see that on his badge? I missed the subplot. He he was the in the paranormal department. Yeah, that was in the thirteen minutes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Dustin Diamond was trading cards. That was happening in the background. (laughs) Oh, we didn't. um, uh, Van Helsing in the very beginning. That that dude. Yeah. Um, we've seen him before. Really? Yes. He looked familiar. Yeah, that is Neptune from uh, Clash of the Titans. Nice. So. Well, and I didn't understand. The, the original Clash of the Titans. Yeah, the original. Okay. I was going to say because Neptune was somebody else. Yes, that's because it wasn't him. Right. <laughs> that's how that that's works. That's why he looked that's like. How, that's how some being somebody else works. Yeah, that's that's. It's I, totally unclear why Van Helsing's plot with the amulet didn't work in the opening, <laughs> or why he came back at the end. Reading all the stuff, I thought I thought that's what it was. What like that girl wasn't a virgin either? No, no, no. She just didn't. She didn't finish reading everything. Ah. Uh, because she kept looking up, and he kept saying, you know, you know, 
don't finish the readings, finish your readings, or we're all going to die. And well, then they all died. So I'm assuming that she didn't finish the reading. Well, they all got sucked into the got sucked into the twister. They got absorbed. Yes. Oh. <clears throat> yeah, the whole thing with the amulet was a little weird because yeah. okay, the amulet is in a room with a bunch of silver and crosses. Okay. So the werewolf can't get it. Mm-hmm. And Dracula can't get it unless of course he just throws his dynamite in there. <laughs> right, which you know. But the swamp yeah. guy could get it, the mummy could get it. Right? Frankenstein could go in there and get it. It seems like none of the evil villains used any of their powers in any kind of effective way. They didn't work together. Like, if any of them had worked together, they could have owned that town. Right? Well, but they kind of set it up that they didn't really, they were unwilling participants in Dracula's crappy scheme. Like, the, like the, the creature from the Black Lagoon was the only one that really didn't know any better and was willing to stick up for him. Everybody else was kind of half-assing it. Yeah, Frankenstein but even, turned on a dime. <laughs> yeah. Even Dracula, like, he didn't do anything vampirish aside from turning into a bat. Yeah, His main I mean, weapon he was, was even using dynamite. Like, right. I seen yeah. Dracula rely on TNT before. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Yeah, like, like Dracula is suddenly a demolitions expert. <laughs> Dude, I can see that in where we stand in the shadow or what we do in the shadows. I got the dynamite. Why you got the dynamite? <laughs> None of us use dynamite. Why is this a thing with you? <laughs> yeah, you're always blowing expert. things up. <laughs> Look at you blew up the kitchen three years ago. You still have not cleaned it up. <laughs> Every time I buy a car, you blow it up. <laughs> Let's talk about a better monster movie. Let's talk about that some more. Went down a rabbit hole. <laughs> no, I mean, but yeah, but that is that is part of it in this movie. It's just like they don't have. I mean, even, they don't even use the basic, uh, like archetypal powers that they were born. They have, you know, oh, hey, like bat- werewolves are, are are practically indestructible <clears throat> when they're in their werewolf form, mm-hmm. and he's not even beating people up properly. True. Because he didn't want to be a werewolf. And in the meantime... Stop trying to give them dimensions. <laughs> in the meantime, Frank sends monsters like, uh, I'm out. Well, and I liked how they... I played, have a friend now. That's good enough for me. I like how they pay, like they how they played, uh, you know, an homage to the original James Whale film where they had the little girl by the lake and he wanders up. That was yeah. kind of nice. And the shot with all of the classic monsters standing together in the swamp was really cool. Yeah, it, it actually was. Yeah. I wouldn't mind like like you know having that screenshot as a background, you know, on my computer. I mean, it was pretty cool. I mean, because like I said, the the, the effects, the, the monsters looked good. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, I think well, that. I mean, yeah, he he looked kind of campy, but I mean, he still looked like you know like you imagine Dracula should look when you know if you just going with the stereotypical Dracula. Well, I think part of that was the fact that these are the the MGM monsters. You know, these are like when, sure. when they they didn't want these guys uh they didn't want to drop the ball on the image of these guys. Right, they they all have a very specific image. Yeah. I mean, which is so, great, but unfortunately they, you know, hey, what do they look like? They got a team in there to totally figure out what they look like, but unfortunately they were like, "Hey, what does Dracula do?" Turns into a bat, 
and <laughs> I mean, throws... turns out the writers knew about as much as the monsters as the monster squad knew about the monsters. Yeah. <laughs> what does Dracula do? He turns into a bat and throws dynamite. Is he a Nintendo character? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I would play the hell out of that game. Dracula, dynamite. Dynamite And, and he has a, a staff with a lightning rod, electrical charge thing in it. All he needs is a grappling hook, and I'm in. <laughs> He's got a robotic arm. <laughs> what the hell kind of movie is this? <laughs> yeah, it's one. still a better monster cinematic universe than the one with Tom Cruise. Good point. Mm. It, it's, the whole movie just felt like a, a, a boy's wish fulfillment. And kind of like Pat said, like a, I think Pat said about a D&D campaign. Yeah. Just like a kid's story that he wrote while he was bored during math class. And somebody just made it into a movie. Right. Shane Black's like, let me uh, let me borrow that. How, how, well, how do you kill the swamp thing? I don't know. Just shoot it with a shotgun. Okay. <laughs> and Dude. that's it. That's it, man. He's just done. Dracula needs dynamite. <laughs> what's, what's, what's cooler than Dracula? Dracula with dynamite. All right. Cool. I like that, man. And what about the way the mummy went? That was so disappointing. That was pretty badass, though. I thought it was. I thought it was kind of clever. I mean, it, not really like you know the physics were probably a little off, but it was still you know it was funny. It was I just fun. I love the way he looked. I, the character design was awesome, and I was like all in on the mummy. And then I was like, really? That's how he's going to go out? I mean, it was kind of useless to put him in that closet if all he was going to do was climb out the window anyway. That that kind of was annoying. Well, that gave Eugene something to do. His his entire role in the movie was to say, "Mummy came in my house and creature stole my Twinkie." Bye, right. chicka, wow, wow. And how the how the hell did he get in the club? I mean, they make the cool kid go through a test. You can't tell me that Eugene passed an advanced test to be part of the monster club. Squad. No, the dog did, and they let the they, they grandfathered in the kids. <laughs> that was the them. best line in the whole movie. I thought, how does the dog even get up here? Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> that was the best line in the whole film. That's fantastic. I agree with that. What, Mike? No, uh, I just the the dog getting up there is ridiculous. The, the other the other line in the movie that I find ridiculous is, "You said you were a virgin." Well, there was only Tommy Woodface, but he doesn't count. Doesn't count. Jesus Christ. <laughs> like. <laughs> That I thought, I, honestly, I thought that was kind of a clever, a clever twist at the end, you know. And then you know, like, oh, is she a virgin? Well, she better be, right? So, well, that, and why couldn't any of the boys have done it? It had to be a girl, I thought. Well, they I didn't. Think that, that was the implied, yeah. yeah. That was implied, I guess. That was the '80s sexism, like you know, boys aren't virgins ever; you're just women. That's kind of a weird statement. It was true, though. Joel was a virgin four years after he was married. <laughs> Wait, doing the math here. Hold on. <laughs> anyway. Um, if you wait long enough, your hymen reforms. <laughs> wait, I got to do the math here on that. Hold on. <laughs> Two I, one plus hymen equals. I think Josh has left. <laughs> I, think, I think it's in his contract. But once you start doing hymen math, he's just like, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm out. Wait, this, we have contracts? I insisted on one. <laughs> That's probably smart. <laughs> That's why Josh is the only one making money. He that owns all so the merchandise. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean it this show. 
Still, still so not true. Still so not true. <laughs> and now that you've got me depressed. <laughs> so, anybody have anything else to say about the Monster Squad? Um, Other than the last line in the film, who are you? We're the Monster Squad. Yeah. Oh, Monster Squad. You know what I think yeah, it is? I mean, I find it interesting. That all you got to do is write a little letter to the army and they show up. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna do that. I'm going to write a little letter to the army and I'm going to send them to Mike's house. You should not do that. <laughs> I don't really feel like getting swatted. <laughs> there are monsters at Mike's house. <laughs> um, You know what? Honestly, I think this, I think just tossing this out there that the rap was written before the movie. I can see that. Thank you. They sat around. Black and Decker were sitting around. They got kind of drunk. They made they wrote a that for the John Carpenter version. Yeah, they wrote up. They wrote up this uh, rap song as a joke, and they're like, "Hey!" Next morning, they looked at it and like, "Wow, we bet we can make a script out of this." Done. <laughs> Turns out, no, you can't. Yes. Still done. <laughs> Absorbed. All right. Have we said about as much as we can about kicking this horse? I think so. Yeah, I can't. Uh, I mean, I remember going to the theater to see this. This is one of those movies where my brother loved it. We took him to see it. He wanted to see Monster Squad. I want to see Monster Squad. Took him to see him like, hey. He didn't like RoboCop, so I don't think he'd like this. I mean, there are <laughs> there are '80s movies that are iconic, and there are '80s movies that are that are good, and '80s movies that are iconic that are bad. And I think this definitely is not on the good side. Yeah. And yet people absolutely love it, and it's like a big thing for a lot of people. I was going to say, like like you had said earlier, you know, a lot of people, you know, I may have had my expectations too high as well because so many people like this movie and talk about it and quote it and all that kind of stuff. Like I've even quoted the Werewolves Got Nards line without ever having seen the movie just because, you know, it's 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 like the um, You're Killing Me Smalls, you know, from The Sandlot. You know, I, I haven't seen that either, that's despite all the, you know, but I still use that line. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I'm kind of coming at it from the opposite direction. Is I remember this movie being kind of bad, so my expectations were low. And while I still didn't like it all that much, I, I think I'm probably the least negative on it of the four of us. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't. I didn't hate it. It just wasn't good. You know. It, yeah. Yeah. That's I about mean, where I'm it's at. it's not so, it's not one of those things like I'm. Mean, oh my god, I'm never gonna never watching this again. I mean, it's not like Star Crash. Yeah, exactly. It's you know I that's mean, always going to be the standing example for something I hate you guys no more. Transmorphers <laughs> will be. Well, oh, I, oh. well, I didn't. I didn't. I, Transmorphers was the second one, so I didn't pay as much attention to it. I actually watched Star Crash. So on Rotten Tomatoes, the critics' uh, percentage fifty six percent, audience seventy eight. See, I yeah, don't. Yeah, those both sound about right. Yeah, I don't pay any attention to the critics on. Rotten Tomatoes. We just been bringing that up in the past couple episodes. I'm like, yeah, oh, true. See what they're saying. Whereas uh, Stranger Things, audience and uh, critics, 94% and 93%. Spoilers. Dum dum dum. All right, we're gonna take a break, cleanse our palates in ways that you should not know about, and then come back and talk about Stranger Things Part Two, Season Yay. Two. All right, we'll be back in a little bit. The second half of the show goes to 11. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, nice. Up the mic.
All right, we are back. Hello. Are, hello. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, that's Joel's line. Oh, we, yeah. We are here to talk about Stranger Things Season 2, all nine episodes. All right, if you had not seen our previous show, we compared the first season of uh, Stranger Things to E.T. Oh, shit, I watched Strange Brew. Caution, spoilers ahead. Yeah, definitely spoilers. Oh my god, yeah, spoilers ahead. So, so many spoilers. Don't listen to this if you haven't watched the first, or all the episodes. <laughs> so, directed by Matt and Ross Duffer, the Duffer brothers, Sean Levy, Andrew Stanton, Rebecca Thomas, and a bunch of other people. Starring the well, amazing Winona Ryder as Joyce Byers. Mm-hmm. David Harbour as Jim I'm Gonna Punch It Hopper. The new Hellboy. Yeah, that's true. Finn Wolfhard. As Mike Wheeler. Quick quick side note. At one point when I was watching this, um, and I was watching Winona Ryder, you know, in her glory, I was thinking, Oh, remember the days when someone shoplifting was scandalous in Hollywood? I know, right? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Millie Bobby Brown has eleven. Not related. Not related. Gaten Mazzaro as the awesome Dustin Henderson. Caleb also, McLaughlin. Mazzaro. He was the first one cast in the entire series. Yep, and it was his second acting job ever. That's fantastic. Uh, Lucas Sinclair. Natalia Dyer as Nancy Wheeler. Charlie Heaton as Jonathan Byer. Paul Reiser as Dr. Owens. And Sean Astin as Bob Newby. Aw, I love you, Bob. All right. Just so. a new guy. Bob New Guy. In Chapter 5, here's some trivia for us. In Chapter 5, Dig Dug of Stranger Things, Bob, who is played by Sean Astin, is helping to decipher what Will's drawings mean. The winding lines and lead to an X in which Bob asks, What's the X? Pirate's treasure? If you're not aware of this, Sean Astin played the role of Mikey in The Goonies, which is directed by Steven Spielberg, in which Mikey and his friends go searching for One-Eyed Willie's pirate treasure, which is another hat tip to the mega producer Steven Spielberg. Lots of little meta in this in this show. Yeah, having him say that the X marked Pirate's <laughs> Treasure was a clear nod to the Goonies. Oh yeah, totally. Oh yeah. <laughs> in the scene which Eleven threw a tantrum and blew out the windows of the cabin was uh, practical effects. And when it was done, uh, Harbor was in frame for it. It was not a stunt double. Yep, he insisted on doing it. Good for him, man. Uh, in the fight between Billy and Steve, the breakaway plate that Steve slapped, uh, that Billy slapped him in the head with, didn't quite break away, and Joe Keery got a little dazed from the hit. And they, they were like, "Well, that looked really real. Let's use that in the final cut." <laughs> wow, all of this stuff was in uh, Beyond Stranger Things. Yeah, the yeah. directors are famous for that. They're like, "Oh, you almost died. Let's use that cut because that looks real." Yeah, it was real, you dick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a great outtake with Murray, Jonathan, and Nancy having breakfast where Gelman accidentally drops eggs off his fork and just plays it off while in character. The improv moment made the final cut. I Oops. could tell that was that was an improv thing. Because <laughs> I, I, I actually I like Brett Gelman a lot. I've followed his career and that was a that was very much a not in not in character moment. That was a Brett Gelman moment. Yeah. When he was on, on Beyond Stranger Things, he was very entertaining. And he is a crazy but very funny man. 
Yeah, he's great in that role. Intensely odd. Yeah. That that guy definitely did I mean, for as the psychotic reporter, he was I, I don't know if they even actually gave him a script. The scene when he's sitting in the lawn chairs, they're all leaving the <laughs> he's Bye. Bye. That was awesome. All right. So this is nine episodes of one Stranger Things Two. What's that? One more than last season. Yes, one more than last season, where we come back and we discover that uh the uh, Wheeler, Mike Wheeler, not Mike. Will Byers. Will Byers has is not totally severed from the uh, the upside down. On the in the end of the first season, we see him puke a slug up at the uh, very end of it and, and let it go down the drain. In this, we discover where the hell that slug went and what happened to it. Which are we? Are we going with How it? How did it end up in in Dustin's trash can, though? Who the hell knows? Are we even sure that, that was the same I, I slug? Know. Is that, I mean, I maybe I don't care. All did, right. How about that? Well, <laughs> what? Well, basically, each of the major plot threads directly follows from one of the unanswered questions at the end, or at some other point from season one. Hmm. I mean, exactly what happened to Eleven, where she it was implied that she was back at the end of season one. Mm-hmm. What was up with the slug? Uh, why did everyone seem to forget about Barb? And is anything ever going to come of that? Uh, what's going on with Eleven's mom? Like every single loose end from season one was directly addressed and formed the foundation for season two. It was the entire season was like a giant uh, wrap up of season one. Yeah, right. With an um, with a great step over into what what may or may not happen next week, next season. They've re- oh, they've sure. actually started. Sur- I mean, that, that's why I feel like the, the the complaints that it's just it felt like a retread of season one, and and in a lot of ways it was valid, but in a lot of ways it would this is just a continuation of the same story. So of course there's going to be a lot of repetitive stuff and i couldn't disagree more with that particular read on this because there were some themes in this one that were not present there were some definite uh this is what it's like to grow up with uh will caught in between two things kind of how you are at that age you're not an adult you're not a child right so let's walk let's walk through it so chapter one episode one mad max uh, they have the entrance of a new character into this one, uh, Max. The now that uh, Eleven is gone, I guess they've kind of felt to um, add in another character with Sadie Sink as Maxine Max Mayfield. I couldn't tell if I felt like she was too shoehorned in or not. You know, what, by well, the end had... of it, I don't think she was. Well, they had to have a human, <clears throat> a human antagonist, uh, and her brother Billy, the Red Ranger from Power Rangers. And so it made a nice segue to have her as a counterpoint, I guess. I, don't but his, know. I mean, his storyline didn't go anywhere. I, that was actually one of my biggest complaints about this season. Is Billy's storyline just, just ended. Well, I but think it, Billy's storyline is the one of the dangling plot threads to make sure that they're not going to have to start from like a completely blank canvas for Stranger Things 3. Mm-hmm. Well, and they said that Steve in the original series was supposed to be basically almost not the same as Billy, but that same kind of character archetype, but 
he was everybody liked him so much that they expanded the character and he had the biggest arc and so here this kind of furthered that arc and separated him into being the babysitter that he became because uh, <laughs> well he had to have because this guy was trying to take his position and so instead of you know becoming the steve that he was in season one he changed and had an arc and this guy became the bad guy i i love steve so much more in this season than i did in the previous one i totally totally thought he was gonna die i i know right (laughs) i could see that when when they all went down in the tunnel i'm like there's no way that he's not going to sacrifice himself for all these kids to save him and he tried. One of the best lines of this, and I think from Steve, one of Steve's best lines: "I'm a terrible boyfriend, but I'm apparently an amazing babysitter." <laughs> it seems like every character that was just a little underdeveloped uh, from the first season got their due. Uh, I remember complaining a little bit about Nancy Wheeler uh, in season one, and she, Nancy got a real nice plot arc. A lot of character development. We saw a lot more from Dustin and Lucas. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily sure I liked Nancy's development, though. It seemed like that's just a sideways move with her. They didn't really take her anywhere. Well, but she's kind of the... Um, the everyman. Well, the the conspiracy theorist guy. I forgot his name all of a sudden. Um, oh, Brett Coleman's character or whatever? Yeah, yeah he, he acknowledged her as being very much like him. Um, kind of the curiosity seeker who doesn't she's been you know sheltered by her parents so much that now she's realized that she's not that person and so she's kind of the uh conspiracy theorist of the group or well maybe not right conspiracy. and she's growing beyond her molly ringwald from uh breakfast club image which is kind of what she is the princess who is with the safe boyfriend and cares mm-hmm. about her looks and et cetera, and how things are supposed to go. Everything has a certain way. Like she didn't get too far beyond that mold, except at the very end of season one and her figuring out how painful it is to break out of that life. I thought was a compelling journey for her in this season. And well, she's I like think Sansa Stark is <clears throat> learning how to be an adult. And that brings up an interesting thing that I wanted to mention was the last line in season one where they're sitting around the D&D table and they're like, what happened to the lost knight and the proud princess and the strange flowers that we saw in the cave? And I think all of us talked about maybe that'll be a segue into season two. And I'm wondering if that really was the case. Oh, was is there... Steve, Steve is the lost knight? Mm-hmm. And she is the princess and all the vines are the flowers in the strange cave? I could see that. Yeah. It just felt very a little too convenient to not be tied in somehow. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to find the line earlier and I just found it. And when you said princess, I'm like, Oh, good segue. Well, yeah. Cause, and I think it's often in movies and TV, it's easy. It's like the girl wakes up and realizes I don't have to be the perfect princess. And once she makes that decision, her life is fine and everything's happy and beautiful. Now, those sorts of decisions have an emotional cost. Mm-hmm. And I think we saw that. And I appreciated that they acknowledged that, yeah, you decide to do this. It hurts. Oh, yeah. And the it whole, hurt Nancy. And the whole, the whole episode where they're at the party and she's drunk and telling Steve that's all bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and I think the, the unspoken thing between the two of them was it. We're supposed to act like it's all okay. 
And Steve was like, all right, we're going to do that. They told us to act like it's all okay. And she had this thing because Steve was not friends with um, Nancy. You mean Barb? Barb. Yeah, I'm sorry. Steve wasn't friends with Barb in the first season. She, he was, she was like a peripheral to his group of friends. So there was no real emotional connection between them. But in the meantime, you know, uh, the two of them, were the gr- they were great friends together. So you had, <clears throat> excuse me, you had Nancy and Barb were great friends together. And when Barb was killed, Nancy felt it a lot more than Steve. So she's been carrying this around since the end of last season. Sure, and he's trying to be the responsible one for both of them. He's saying, I want a future with this girl, and if uh, government agents come in the night to take her away, we're not going to have that future. Mm-hmm. So, like, I could see both sides of that argument. Neither one of them was right, and neither one of them was wrong, and it was another thing I appreciated about this season. Yeah. Now, something else they added this season, parents and other siblings. Yeah, a lot more backstory on the family life of each of the individuals. And I thought it was a nice touch that they had the uh, the political signs in the in front of the houses. And the Duffer brothers had commented that that was a lot of fun to try and figure out who would be siding with Mondale and Ferraro and which one would be siding, you know, that whole. Mm -hmm. And if you notice, you know, you can pick it out when you see it and if you watch it again, but they're very clearly marked and. Obviously, like uh, Nancy's parents are um, very conservative and, you know, kind of the the nuclear family of the time. So did you actually figure like pay attention to which was which? Because I didn't. Yeah. Um, the uh, hang on. Uh, what the hell am I talking about? Uh, Dustin's family was Mondale and then the Wheeler family was Reagan and Dustin's mom. I felt so bad for her. <laughs> oh, because of the cat? Because of the cat. I mean, I loved her so much. It was like, okay, that's Dustin. Of course, that's his mom. <laughs> you know, that is like yeah, the, for yeah, sure. the complete mom, exactly what you'd expect mom, uh, Dustin's mom to be. And then when the cat, when the cat got eaten by, um, uh, what's dart, dart, dart. Yeah, it was just like. <laughs> No, and I do appreciate that Dustin that he was was like, okay, that's not acceptable. You ate my cat. Not cool. Yeah, not cool. I'm gonna have to do something about that. Dustin, that was a pretty harsh sequence. I really did like all the character development in Dustin this in this season. I mean, the how can she? How can they ever resist these cho- these uh, these pearly these whites? Pearls. These yeah. pearls. <laughs> and then everyone's kind of like. Don't don't do that. Everybody's like, don't do that. Don't don't ever do that. Yeah, stop doing that. (laughs) And that was something he brought to the character that wasn't in the script. Really? That's amazing. And there's a whole bunch of outtakes of him just doing that over and over. (laughs) (laughs) He's a funny kid. And I also have to say, Will is um, fantastic in this. Yeah, he got a chance to be something other than just the MacGuffin. Right, yeah, dude. I mean, first season he didn't really get a chance to do any acting for for the most part. He just was kind of there, just hide. He's, yeah, he's his the youngest kid on the uh, of the group, and holy crap, that kid can act. Yeah, yeah and there were so many scenes like where he is, where he's sitting after he after the smoke monster absorbs into himself, into yeah. him, and he's sitting and he's talking to his mom, and he's like crying and trying to figure things out. It was like this kid can really act. Yeah, this is not just some sort of like facade. I mean, this kid is really pouring his all into this one scene. I, yeah, I mean, originally, they were going to have the mind flare 
take over Will a little earlier and have Will like kill Bob. Oh, oh. whoa. Yeah, yeah, that's rough. Okay. Little too hardcore. Yeah, I, I and going to Bob. All right, I do admit I did have I did think Bob was a little too nice, but uh, I am definitely <laughs> I miss Bob. <laughs> I fell in love with Bob during the course of that season. I, I really, really did. did. I love Bob's. I mean, I loved him, but at the same time, I'm like, there's so much like cloak and dagger going on in this show that if it suddenly showed up and it was that. He was a plant by the by the. Uh, oh, I thought that too. Yeah, like see, and I, I always took Bob on face value. I was like, this is what happens if like your doofy pudgy computer guy grows up to be Danny Tanner. Yeah. But, well, and I'm still trying to figure out Paul Reiser's character because he starts out being the man, and he turns into being a guy that seems to be on the level, but at the same time. The uh, the demodogs pretty much killed everybody in that entire facility, and yet he got away with a flesh wound. Uh, I don't know. I think that he was towing that line between, hey, I'm not like the guys, I'm not like Matthew Modine from season one, but I'm still in charge here. Yeah. And being a hard ass, but also trying to be a nice guy at the same time. And I think his characterization was pretty consistent throughout. I, I agree with you because my first fear as soon as I saw him was like he's gonna he, he's gonna wind up as another Burke from Aliens, right. and that was the thing is like he's gonna turn on these guys and in in reality he was actually telling the truth he's like look the people that did that are gone I'm trying to keep things under control now, and he did as much as he could with what he's I mean he just did not realize how much shit had been thrown at that fan. You know, I mean, it's it's he tried as much as he could to figure out what was going on with Will. But unfortunately, he only knew so much. I mean, he didn't understand that, you know, there are all the vines and everything growing underneath the ground, which I think was an amazingly awesome thing to toss into it. For sure. And the character design of the mind flare with the like the tornado arm things was freaking crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I just love the fact that we're doing one major D&D monster per season, basically. Mm hmm. And they did Mind Flayer for season two. Just such a strong choice. I hope they do Kobolds next season. No. <laughs> Gelatinous Cube. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about Eleven's arc. Because Eleven's arc, and in particular episode seven, was one of the most polarizing things about this season. People seemed to uh, love it or hate it, and a lot of people hated it. I think it would have been perfectly fine if it had been like episode four. But I mean, you were, they were built, you know, you, you only have nine episodes and you're building up to a certain crescendo and it just seemed like a uh, sidetrack that didn't necessarily need to be there at that particular point. A little too late in the season because yeah. it, well, and her character seemed to be kind of took a backseat a little bit to the main uh, four kids almost. It, the she one, didn't the feel one like original party guys. No, no, no. I mean the the main boys, the uh, the oh, main, the, yeah. the the main, main uh, group. Her, them and Max were like the focal point this season, and Eleven was almost a little bit secondary in some. Well, some. I mean, at the beginning, they were taking another look at kind of what I was talking about before with uh, comparing what they're going through to puberty, like her going through her 
growing up with a new father figure and the tantrums and the crying and the screaming that I'm sure Mike can tell us is pretty realistic. I I told the girl <laughs> in this movie, I'm like, I'm really glad that you guys don't have psionic powers like Eleven <laughs> does because I would be dead already. <laughs> And you've got David Harbour playing a father who's already lost one little girl and is overcompensating by being way too overprotective. Mm-hmm. So I, I really loved that they were playing those forces against each other. And sometimes coincidences got in the way. And then when she did her runaway thing, yeah, the characters we met aside from her sister were secondary characters that we're probably never going to deal with again. But that's another one of those things like Billy. Billy's going to be in season three. Uh, her sister's going to be in season three. They need to expand the world because they didn't want to leave us on a straight up cliffhanger. Right. And I think this whole plot line of her running to Chicago, which has the classic uh one of the one of the things I love about anytime they put anything in Chicago is you get the picture of Chicago looking out uh, the whole skyline that you can only see if you are sitting two miles out into Lake Michigan. Right. You know, right. I thought I thought that was kind of funny. But at the same time, we have her sister. We have um, what was her sister's name? Eight. <laughs> eight. Yeah, we have eight. Who's uh, who we get running around with this. Uh, mohawk wearing criminals and all that sort of thing. We didn't get a lot of depth on them. We only saw them for like two and a half episodes, if that. And I think this is going to be one of those things like in the first season where they set it up for the third. Absolutely. Kali is her name. Kali, yeah. Like yeah. the, like the uh, go- goddess, goddess of death. Hindu yeah. Goddess. yeah, so it's going to be one of those things where we don't hear her from Kali. I'm going to lay a bet right now that when the next season rolls around, it's either going to be Kali right out of the gate, or you don't hear about her till season two, episode five. I can see that. Well, and are they going to eventually have Eleven's mom recover, or is she permanently stuck in between here and the upside down? Well, I don't know, and I, <clears throat> but I always kind of wonder if uh, Kali's eight and Jane is eleven. Have they addressed the other neurons? Well, I think at this point, because 8 and 11 were the only two that were in the rainbow room, mm-hmm. that the other ones didn't survive. That's or maybe kinda... they were at another lab. That's true. They could have been in the sunshine room. Or maybe they were, you know, failures. They didn't show psychic powers or weren't good enough to continue with them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the most reasonable, but the least interesting explanation, which is why I think we might learn about the other numbers in future seasons. Like season four is all about the... Or maybe Matthew Modine's character is one or two or something. Oh, and that's the thing is uh, the indication that he might not be dead. Like, he may be coming back. And what if the other girls are in another lab and he's moved on to that one since this one has become a, a failure? So and that's the thing. In season one, we saw Matthew Modine die hard on screen. Mm-hmm. So if it's true that he d- is not dead, how? Yeah, there's going to be a l- that, who's to say that one of the powers that one of the kids, you know, these other kids have isn't resurrection. Sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to I'm going to toss this out there. Maybe there's more than one Matthew Modine. He could be clones. Who the hell knows? I mean, they'll keep throwing. I mean, yeah. all this crazy shit at us. I mean, 
the uh, when um, Dart came around, you know, it was like, oh, uh, at, at first I was like, oh, God, they're going with the cute little animal to help along with the kids. And then like <laughs> an episode later, I'm like, yeah, I was totally wrong on that prediction. Yeah. Oh, he's eating the cat. Awesome. Yeah, he ate the cat. Hmm. He's going full elf. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll make this call since someone said clones, season three or maybe a future season, the doppelganger. Oh, for going for D and D monsters, yeah. man. Or so, the, if the, I'm right, I'm gonna look really clever in like a year. Or, or, or just just an, an inside joke for Josh, the tree ant. <laughs> the tree ant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm calling rust monster. <laughs> Season twelve. Season, what, what, what's your guess for the next monster, Pat? Uh, Joel. Uh, the Beholder. Oh, that's oh, what I was going to say. I would hope that they do the Beholder at some point. All right, then I'll go with Lich. Ooh. Oh my God, that would be so a Matthew Modine coming back. Ooh. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. oh see, I like the way you set think. it up at that last scene in episode nine. That you know that their their big thing this season was, <coughs> excuse me, they wanted a a sentient creature in the upside down mm-hmm. with it, but they don't really know the, the intentions of um, the mind flayer other than that. He's trying to, you know, get into our world. So now that they've closed the, the gate, how are they going to bring him in? And is he going to be the main antagonist again, or are they going to choose a different monster? I would <laughs> guess. I, and they're probably going to go something different because the color scheme for the storm that's behind the mind flayer and the mind flayer himself are different. Mm. So I, I would have to think that there's something in the storm that's even bigger than the mind flayer. One, something controlling the mind flayer itself. Or just another th- thing that's in a uh, part of the upside down. All right. Now we are, uh, we're also leaving. We're not addressing one of the huge things from this show. What's that? Dustin's fucking hair in the last episode. <laughs> oh, dude. Oh, my God. Oh, that killed me. I was that, like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Dustin, Dustin and the ducky haircut. Uh-huh. Dustin with the ducky. That they could not have. I mean, the thing is, they, the, with Eleven missing in the last season, with Will vomiting up maggots in the, in the last episode of the last season and all that, and this dark kind of, overwhelming type of feeling for the last season for them having this, they're all at the party, you know, <laughs> Dustin with that hair and Steve coaching him on, which I love Steve so much more at the end of this season than I did at the previous season. I mean, the first season I was like, awesome. Okay. Steve wasn't a douchebag boyfriend that I was expecting him to be. He was kind of like helping in this one. Steve, they're just like, Steve, you gave a good fight, man. He he totally kicked your ass, but you fought really good, you know, and then jumping down in the hole with him. I have so much respect for Steve's character arc is going, all right, you know what? I'm not Nancy's boyfriend anymore. I don't know what's going on with that, but I've been told to watch these kids. And God damn it, I'm going to watch these kids, even though they're dragging me into this hole. Yeah, well, and it was a clever bit of scripting that they didn't make us flip back and start rooting for Steve and continue the love triangle. Like, I still think Jonathan and Nancy belong together. Oh, yeah. At the end of this. Well, fun fact, the Duffer brothers said that initially Steve wasn't supposed to be in the last couple of episodes, but because 
they the actor himself won them over that they wrote him into that sequence with the last fight scene with well not the last fight scene but where he showed up at the house Mm -hmm. and that's kind of what of course cemented him in a lot of people's minds as being the guy that he is now and the other thing was they said with season two the whole beginning of their talks about what are we going to do this season was we want the snowball how do we get there yeah, and the snowball is going to be a really important transition because the only thing we really know about season three is the snowball was the conclusion of middle school for them. Like, as much as we all love the science teacher, we're not going to see him next season because they're moving on to high school. I like or him. He could still be around, but just. Well, I think he. I Okay, I don't think he's going to disappear. I think he's going to be the sage advice. I mean, that's possible. It's just the only things they've talked about is that they're casting all new teachers and the kids are going to be in high school. So I'm just assuming that he's going to be falling by the wayside because they're not at his school anymore. Or they'll figure out a way to to get him into it, but not not necessarily in a Bob capacity. But, you know, as like like you said, as a sage person that they go to for advice. I hope they don't just try to shoehorn him in just for that sake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm I'm. I think that's a little bit of wishful thinking. I would not be surprised if we don't see him at all from this point on. And as much as we love him. Yeah. And one of my favorite parts of the entire season, um, just to get it out there real quick, because I know we're probably getting close to the end, um, was a scene where Bob is trying to figure out the map. And when he realizes what it is, that whole sequence, just I had this biggest smile on my face. I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. Oh, Bob. It was like, why didn't he just keep moving? Yeah, I was like, no, Bob, don't slow motion reach towards the person you love. You never do that. Right? Yeah, don't do that. That's how you die. And Uh, you did. See, if he'd have been a horror aficionado and watched Scream, he'd have known. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'll be right back. (laughs) And And that was also, that whole scene was a point where I was like, Dr. Owens isn't as bad as I thought he was. Because he's helping Bob get the hell out. I really at one point thought he was sending him to right to get right to die. Yeah. They did a good job of editing that to make it look like he was, he, he had you know, was like, I'm sending this, this witness right to the dogs. Yeah. But see, that's another thing that just kind of reiterated that how well-written Paul Reiser's character was, is that we never really knew. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I kept expecting like the big knife in the back kind of thing from him or the big, you know, reveal that he was evil or whatever, but no, he was just a, a company man doing what he needed to do. To- he he was the cleanup guy. Yeah. And you know what's fun about Sean Astin's character in this? He didn't call have his agent like call and try and get him an audition or anything. He he sent a VHS tape of himself auditioning with everybody else's and they're just going through the tapes, you know, reviewing them for possible actors and they came across his and they put it in and they're like, "Holy crap. It's <laughs> it's Samwise." <laughs> and they fell in love with his portrayal so much that they put him in the show and then wrote him a much bigger part because of because of him. I thought Bob was supposed to be a very minor character originally. Oh, Bob. <laughs> we're back to that. I like Bob. Because the thing is, like, I, I mean, in the chat that we were talking, I mean, okay. First, I like Kenny Rogers. I like Kenny Rogers, yeah. I mean, Joel, what did I say to you after watching season, episode two? What did, What was my call? That Hopper was going to be dead because of the Jim Croce song? That was, I completely saw that as foreshadowing. 
and what, I couldn't tell you exactly what, what was going to happen they, because they played "Don't Mess Around with Jim" in the first, and when he when they're cleaning up the uh, the cabin, oh. and I'm like, oh man, Joe, Jim dies in this song. Are they foreshadowing yeah. that Hopper's going to die? And I'm like, I called it, and all the girls are. I mean, <laughs> Suzanne and the girls are like, shut up. <laughs> Hopper can't die. I, and, I thought he was going to die when, when he got sucked into the vines. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. like, well, there goes that. That's the end of <laughs> so that. I had, I had two episodes left and I already knew what happened to Bob. <clears throat> and I, but I couldn't tell him. I could, then I was, then I got nervous. Cause I'm like, shit, there's two episodes left. Hopper could still die. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that would have been a great foreshadowing right there. Wouldn't it? Yeah, it really would have. And, and then discovering that Hopper has been hiding 11 for this entire year, I mean, like making sure she's all stocked up on egos and making sure that she's fed, made me like his character so much more. Yeah, although you appreciate where Mike's coming from, like the pain of his mm. scene where he realized that Hopper's been hiding her from him. Oh yeah, yeah. No, you totally understand that. I mean, he's he thought she was gone in the upside down. He had absolutely no idea where she was and then discover that she's literally been living in a cabin just on the other side of town. It's at, a total mind fuck when you think somebody's dead and then you find out they're not. Yeah. Yeah. And the, he's been trying to call her every night. Like I, I stand behind one of the reasons I like Mike Wheeler so much is because you don't always like him. He's not always a fair kid. He's not always uh, a a likable person to his friends. And that's part of the thing with every single person in this movie. I mean, in, in this show is that you, I mean, Winona Ryder is Joyce Byers. Yeah. She's lost her kid, but she goes, you know, she goes kind of overboard once in a while. She kind of loses it every, every once in a while. David Harbour as Jim Hopper. He's like, per- like the one scene where she's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm peeing. <laughs> <laughs> peeing. Because she's just so ready to to freak out about anything because she's had such a hard fucking time. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Every one of these kids and adults are flawed people. It makes them a little more real. Mm-hmm. Well, and one other thing, um, music plays a much bigger role in this season. It, if you noticed, each character had their own musical choices, and they fit each one of the characters. So you could tell a lot about the characters just by the songs they listen to. For yeah. sure. There was, I do have to say that the soundtrack in this one was a lot better than the first, first season. A lot of great music in this one. I think overall, it was also a little less derivative. That We weren't being spoon-fed a constant diet of pop culture references to cement uh, that this is the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a, we've already established the place and the tone for what stranger things is. So now let's get into some character development instead of just, Hey, member D and D that's what the Duffer brothers had. Actually, they said that, that the first episode they were trying to get away from the, or the second season, they were trying to get away from the first season's <clears throat> pop culture, <clears throat> excuse me, and, um, focus on the, the characters and their individual personalities. But, I mean, it was successful. As, as much as you want to, like, when when period pieces are done, you know, as much as you want to show and be accurate and all that kind of stuff, it's more important to catch the spirit than than being completely precise. And it's just, I mean, there there are just certain things about being a human being in a certain area, like being being a, a young man in America, that are not going to change. 
mm-hmm. regardless of what decade you're growing up in. And so that's always, you know, I mean, as long as you have the fringe things that to identify where, what period of time you're in, you don't need to get absorbed in the minutia of like, like, you know, be everything we do is so eighties related, you know, cause I mean, you know, there are people in 2017 still playing Dungeons and Dragons, for instance. Well, who, who would that Dragon be, Slayer Patrick? Dig Dug. Oh, Dragon Slayer. Oh, love it. But that was check, that check was out our awesome. arcade show if you want to hear us falling over Dragon Slayer and also <laughs> and also curse its name at the same time. Uh, but that was us though. When that game came out, I mean, how many of us weren't pumping quarters in there? I love it while he cusses. Like, God damn it, it's another dollar. <laughs> like. I remember that, and now you can yep. now for ninety nine cents. From me at one point. That's that's one of the uh, the brain breaking moments for myself. Is like ninety nine cents right now will buy you Dragon's Lair on your phone, and you can play <laughs> it. And it's just like, God damn it! How much money did I dump into this freaking game when I wasn't at the arcades? Right? Isn't inflation supposed to go the other way? I know. <laughs> Screw you, Don Bluth. I well, take- they went to an arcade to. I play the, some of these old games, and they said Dragon's Lair is still fifty cents or whatever. Yeah, per per game, it's like really. All right, I take that back. I uh, Don Bluth, I love you. <laughs> I was gonna say he's gonna. We, hit knew, me you we knew you didn't mean it, baby. Oh. <laughs> Give me an oh yeah, baby Joel. <laughs> oh yeah, baby. Oh, <laughs> damn it, it's going away. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, baby. So. What did you think about the final scene? That uh, you know, the happy ending, Dustin's dancing with his with the his best friend's sister. You know, which I thought honestly, would <laughs> poor Dustin just trying so hard. Shall we? You know, I mean, he he he's. Can't they just give him a woman? Yeah, I mean, but the thing is, with with his character, his character is so big at this point. I mean, just the character himself that you can't just like pawn that off on somebody you right know, you need there needs to be an arc for him to meet somebody lucas's yeah. sister but but yeah i mean she's so right though he's like, he's like and, you know give him give him a few years and they'll appreciate the hell out of him mm-hmm. yeah and they'd already done the throw a random girl at one of the kids with will yep and they had the two big, zombie boy yeah yeah <laughs> like i like will i don't know what to do one. What's that? I, I cut Josh off. Oh. Uh, That's fine. You said they had the two big... The two big uh, first kisses <laughs> with Mike and Eleven and then Lucas and Max. And you were saying, Mike, about Will? Oh, when uh, when the girl comes up and has zombie boy to dance, Will's face is just like kind of in, I mean, completely in shock. <laughs> He's got that, that little glimmer in his eyes. He's like, maybe this was all worth it. Yeah. <laughs> No, but I mean, the the whole ending, I think, was great because you had this happy ending. And even with Joyce and Hopper out front smoking and the girls were like, why is she making that? You know, she smokes and she does that face when she's smoking because he smokes camel unfiltered. Right. <laughs> yep. It's like that is like the most badass of cigarettes that you can possibly smoke. It's one step up from sucking the tailpipe of a passing bus. Pretty much. <laughs> My grandfather used to uh, smoke more pipes. He would he would rip the filters off. The oh. Ugh. oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> now here's the ending when you have the mind flayer literally in the upside down, looking at the school while the dance is going on. 
Is it yeah. is the mind flayer just attracted to it because Will and all of them are in there, or he is the mind flayer pissed off? He's just mad that nobody invited him to the snowball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody to kiss. I mean, it's it's one of those things like you know, like the creation of Adolf Hitler. You know, it's like if somebody had just asked the mind flayer to the snowball, maybe all this wouldn't have happened. If somebody would have just appreciated Adolf's art, maybe World War II wouldn't have happened. Hitler painted roses, huh? That's where we're going. Hitler I, is the mind flare. Whoa. That's a hot take. <laughs> it's a hot steel pile of something. I, what I, about I, all the good things Hitler did? Uh, name one. Nobody. He, 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 he killed Hitler. The, the German economy, he got... You know, uh, Alright, we are not going down this oh, no, road. No, the, uh, <laughs> this is not the advanced. You might want to cut this off right now. Yeah, we are not doing the what did Hitler do right. You know what the Hitler did right? He's the guy who killed Hitler. The advanced modern medicine? Yes. No! No! We're not doing Yeah, but Mike, he also killed the guy who killed Hitler. <laughs> oh, shit, that's right. <laughs> Let's, sorry, now I'm doing it. <laughs> Let's go to uh, thumbs up, Did thumbs kill down. Anybody else? I'm not sure. Oh. Though I think it's pretty obvious. You know what, Pat? I'm muting your ass. Thumbs down for both. <laughs> Can you smell what the rocks cooking? I do think about that every now and then, just randomly in the middle of the day, and I just smile. Masturbating. Okay. I said randomly in the middle of the day, so that's assumed. Yeah. So Monster Squad, thumbs up, thumbs down. <clears throat> I would I would say a thumbs down. I mean it's it's not like a you know a enthusiastic, you know, thumbs down, but it's definitely a thumbs down. It's not a thumbs up, I'll tell you that. So. I got I, I got I got a semi for it. <laughs> semi thumbs up. It's like, yeah. I, uh, I don't sorry. know. I, I, I'm I'm sorry. I re- you know what it is? It's another one of those situations where I remember the movie, and I the, my memories of watching the movie are more fun than the actual movie itself. I mean, maybe I would have liked this movie more if I had seen it as a kid. I don't know. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> How do I know that? I saw this as a kid. No. <laughs> Everything about that movie should have made me love it, and I ended up just being like, I don't get it. Uh, so it's uh, sadly a thumbs down. I don't know why it has so much love. Yeah, I mean, I want to give it a thumbs up, but I can't. The the child acting, I could forgive either the nonsense script or the poor child acting, but both of them combined, pull it just below the threshold for me. Do we even have to ask about Stranger Things season two? <laughs> no, I think we've been gushing about it for the last like forty minutes. Yeah. Thumbs down, bitches! Oh my God, you're done. <laughs> no, I, I hated it. I think this this show is made for our demographic and yeah, has somehow become everybody's demographic. I mean, I was at a party um, for a, a friend of mine, well, one of Juliana's friends' confirmation, and I got into a conversation with some guy that looked like he was the opposite of the audience, and he just was all about the show. So, uh, I mean, it's everywhere. Yeah. So there you so, go. Thumbs up all the way around on that one. Yeah. Millie Bobby Brown finds it very creepy that grown men dress up like 11. As so she should. She's 13. She has every right to feel creeped out. (laughs) I guess I should feel honored, but it's kind of (laughs) creepy. So what do we have on tap for next week, gentlemen? 
next week we are doing we got more beans on the way yes blazing saddles which i'm amazed that we broke 200 episodes and never found a reason to watch blazing saddles <laughs> versus one million ways to die in the west you're sucking on my arm <laughs> <laughs> All right, so if uh, you want to tell us uh, why we're completely off base and why Monster Squad is amazing, or maybe you have your own Stranger Things 2 theory uh, about something, or maybe we missed a major plot point that you wished uh, we would have said something about, give us a call. Let us know at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Right, and if you're looking for our older stuff, like we said before, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, Noon FM, and all those awesome podcasting sites out there and our home on the web 40go14.com stream us i like getting streamed oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right joel come on Say classic move. Oh, yeah. Classic move. Oh, yeah. Now the comparison. (laughs) No, wait. Comparison. Classic move. Oh, yeah. Classic move. Holy shit. That's.